I want to talk to you about something that has been resonating on my heart for some time. And it, it's the, ser the sermon or the message is, in, is titled, The Remnant. The Remnant. And um, I, I want to just, just share my heart with you. God has not forgotten the faithful few. Amen. He has not forgotten those who sometimes feel that they are the ones pushing the, the load up the hill. He has not forgotten you. In 2 Corinthians, I would like to start there in uh, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 16 through 18. Paul is, is saying to the Corinthians, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, those things you see and feel do not dictate who you are. Even though our outward man is perishing, that you can see, we don't lose heart, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. What you cannot see is being renewed day by day. God is doing something that you cannot see. So you must take courage in knowing that God is faithful. He is doing something that you cannot see. Don't be so concerned with the outward. Do not be so concerned with the outward. For our light affliction, Paul calls, whatever you're going through. Now, Paul was beaten. He was beaten, stoned, beaten with rods. And when I think about rods, I don't think about sticks. He was beaten with rods, beaten with whips like bull whips. You know, if, if you were, were at, or I were beaten with a bull whip, you know what a bull whip is, right? You're not too city that you don't know what that is. And, uh, the, you know, the, the old cowboys used to would, would twirl them around and they go, pow! He was beaten with them. Uh, and uh, he says he was beaten five times, given 39 lashes five times. And he calls it light affliction. How much more should we call what we're going through, light affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, he is not using just hyperbolic language. You know, hyperbolic language means exaggerated. And sometimes I will use these words, but don't quit listening because I'm using the best word that I've got in my vocabulary at the time. And then I will use what they call a positive or explanatory words, okay? But it's hyperbolic. It's not hyperbolic to say this. He says it's but for a moment. So Paul is measuring our time here and our suffering here with eternity. So compare it to eternity, it's a moment. He's trying to show us something. Which is but for a moment. That light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Yes, so Paul is saying to us, and God thus is saying to us, do not look at the things that are going on here. You can look at what's going on and become disheartened. Some of us look at what's going on and take part in it. But we must not be disheartened. 
No matter what you are thinking, don't be disheartened. And if, and if there's not the temptation to be disheartened, I wonder if you're seeing something. I wonder why, why God had Paul write it. There is a temptation to be disheartened. There is a temptation, as it were, to throw in the towel. You know, the throwing in the towel is boxing lore. It's boxing language when the, the fighter is in the ring and is getting beaten so badly, they're not falling down all the way, but they're getting beaten and they cannot block the, the, the blows and, and they have just, they're going to be damaged, hurt, maybe killed. And the, the manager throws in the towel to say, referee, stop the fight. And so that's where we are living now. And if you say, I'm not living there, you may be in jeopardy if you're not living there. So he says, we, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the moment, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal, Hallelujah. eternal. Focusing on the glitter of the temporary can cause us to lose sight of the value of the eternal. Focusing on the glitter of the temporary, and sometimes temporary things are glitter, and sometimes they're bad, but whether they are glitter or they're bad, it can cause us to lose sight of the value of the eternal. It is compared to choosing valueless things instead of the valuable. It's like choosing worthless things rather than things of worth. So remember, God has not forgotten you. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9, Isaiah 1, he talks about a remnant. He uses the word remnant. A remnant is a survivor, someone who remains alive or somebody at rest. It's a, uh, in the Old Testament, God talks about his remnant, his remnant, those who are left after judgment, those who, who survived the, the, the storm or the difficulty at hand. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9, Isaiah the prophet writes, he says, unless the Lord of hosts, Paul calls it Sabaoth, the, the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, he says, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant. He left us a very small remnant after judgment came. After disobedience, he left a very small remnant. He says, if he hadn't done that, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. He says, if God had left us alive, we, everything would have been lost. So even in judgment, we find God's mercy. We find God's mercy. Amen. Before I go to Romans 9, I'm going to go to Romans 9, verse 27. It really, Paul reiterates this, uh, this prophetic statement by Isaiah. I want to just go on record as saying that I never considered myself a prophet, and I do not at this juncture consider myself. But I do know that as I read the prophets, I see some similarities in that no matter how I try, to get away from this theme, I cannot. To get away from this theme that you hear over and over is safe for you. It is safe for you. It is safe for those in, the, in this audience. 
because I try to get away. And if I, if I manage to get away from, from this thing, you will know one thing. Either you have overcome everything or I'm disobedient. I, I've tried. I've fasted. I've prayed. I've called out to God, and I cannot. So I want you to know this: it is safe for you. It is safe for you. Now listen to Romans 9. So, I, so Paul calls that, uh, Paul writes uh, from Isaiah's readings, and um, he writes because the, the remnant is a reality. And before I read that, let, let me just say, when we talk about the remnant, we are showing that God, though he judged Israel, he brought, you know the story, he, God chose a man, Abraham. Then he chose a family, Abraham's family. Then he made a nation of them. And then he, made, uh, he, he brought them into a nationhood and a kingdom. And they disobeyed him. Once the living got good, they walked away from God. They did everything like the bad people did. There was no distinction between the good and the bad in their mind. You could not differentiate the people of God from the heathen. And so God judged them. Are you still with me? God judged them. But in the judgment, he left a seed. He left a remnant. This is what we're talking about. I'm saying no matter what's going on in the world, no matter who defects, God's going to have somebody. That's what I'm telling you. I want to encourage you today. And I want you to say, he's got me. I'm that somebody. I'm one of those somebodies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God's going to have somebody who survives. He is never left without a witness. Let's, let's read, let's read, let's read. In Isaiah 9, verse 27, he says, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. So Isaiah is crying out concerning Israel. And he says, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant, the few, will be saved. What? They all experience the faithfulness of God, but the few will be saved. Now listen to what Isaiah said. I mean, Paul tells us. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. Because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as said before, and as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of armies, had left us a seed, it's as God said before, if he had not left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Paul quoted Old Testament verses to support the fact that God in his sovereign choice and calling always includes a Jewish segment, a Jewish remnant, though it's still a minority. So God, no matter what they have done in every generation, God is faithful. And he makes sure that his promise to Abraham is sure. And God makes sure that his promise to you is sure. And he sustains that promise. He says all of your children will be taught of the Lord and great will be the peace of your children. He's going to leave you also a remnant. The remnant are recipients of God's mercy as well as those who were judged for their unfaithfulness. So those who were judged for their unfaithfulness, even though they are judged, they were judged unfaithful, their children, God is still watching over their children. 
That's what he's done with the Jewish people. And so in every generation, there are, there are Jewish people, though the nation has been blinded, there are Jewish people who are saved and come to Yahweh through, through Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's look at Romans 11.5. Romans 11.5. Romans 11.5 says, Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to to the election of grace. And so what Paul says is, even now, this was approximately 2,000 years ago, a little less, he says, even now, there is a remnant according to the election of grace, a remnant of Jewish believers. He shows you the faithfulness of God. So what Paul is saying is that no matter what, God, what happens, that God is going to do something powerful. He's going to leave you a remnant. There's a remnant left. There's a remnant left. And so I want, I want to encourage us to know that when we see Jewish believers, we, we should exult in God. We should say, wow, God is faithful. So that says to you, God will be faithful to you as well. Let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 30, verses 1 through 9, and we will get some clearer understanding of God's faithfulness, this remnant that we always see. When I was a boy, uh, the, the church called us, those faithful few, a remnant. It's not really, it's really more definitively the Jewish people, but the, when we see a faithful few, we're just a faithful few. But when we see them, we recognize, okay, God will be faithful to us as well. Amen. Now let's read this account by uh, Hezekiah. He talks about uh, a remnant, those who are reserved, those who remain. He says, and Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, these are the tribes of Israel, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover of the Lord God of Israel. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. Now, now what happened was Hezekiah brought reform back to Judah, and he brought the people of God back to God, which, which I think is, a, is very, very clear that even in our lifetime, in our lifetime, we have seen many depart from the faith. You say, but no, churches are full. I said many have departed from the faith. Yeah. Amen. And so Hezekiah God used him to bring revival, and God wants to bring revival. But when God wants to bring revival, if we're fighting the revival, we have defected. We're on the wrong side. You know, what we see is not revival. What we see is not revival. What we see in our land is not revival. What we see in many parts of the world is not revival. It doesn't, care, it doesn't matter rather how many people go to church. It's not revival. We got to look at that. We have to know that. Then we have to know, hey, we're right here. We're right here in the Scriptures. And if you're really reading the Scriptures with, with an open heart, an open mind, you realize, oh, wow, we're right here in the Scriptures. Oh, wow, God is doing something right here among us. Can we not see it? Let, let's, let's continue to read. And so the, the matter uh, pleased the king and all the assembly, so they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and that is from the southernmost region to uh, uh, the northernmost region. It would be like saying something like uh, from Laredo to Maine, you know. 
something like that. It would be saying something like that. And uh, I believe I have my geography pretty much right to Maine, I think. So that would be like that. So all throughout the land, they had sent this proclamation uh, that they should keep the Passover to the Lord of Israel at Jerusalem since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner, in the prescribed manner. So, so there's a big difference in prescription and description. So we have to do things according to God's prescription. I want to shake us today. I want us to shake us today to know that we, when we see this remnant, we should rejoice because God's faithfulness to them speaks of God's faithfulness to you and your children. So the runners, then the runners in verse 6, went throughout all of Israel and Judah with uh, the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the king of Assyria. If you return to the Lord, the Lord will return to you. If you should return to the Lord, somebody say, I haven't left the Lord. Really? Now, I'm not saying everybody has, but I'm saying, how dare you answer that question flippantly? You have to examine yourself. When you really seek the Lord, when you, when you and I really seek the Lord, we find that he has been closer than we ever realized, as he's been closer to us, but, but we have not so much been close to him in that, in that we have not done things in his prescribed manner. You can't live the way you want to and then ask God to accept it. You cannot do that. Let's look at this. He says, uh, he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. And when you see this in, in Scripture, in history, in Jewish history, you see that in every generation when a Jewish person returns to the Lord, he is there welcoming. Just like in Luke chapter 15 when the prodigal went, uh, left home and wasted his father's living, everything his father had given to him, he wasted. It wasn't his. He didn't earn it. His dad had it. And just like us, when the, so the, when the Jewish people as a nation have been blinded and now they come to Yeshua, Yah, Yahweh through uh, Yeshua, and they say, whoa, this Jesus is the Son of God, and God is waiting there with open arms. Like the father in Luke 15, when he sees the son coming down the road, he, he, he gets up, he runs down and says, whoa, baby. I'm so glad to see you. This is what God is doing right before our eyes. Do we not see it? It does not mean that you and I must embrace everything that the nation Israel does because the nation Israel is still in unbelief. I didn't get enough amens on that. But individually, there's a remnant. There's a remnant. There's a remnant. And I know that there are, belie there are believers who will disagree with me. There are believers who will disagree with anybody. They even disagree with God quote-unquote believers. Are you still with me? Am I too tough for, for early in the morning? <laughs> Thank you. Verse 7, and do not be like your fathers. Listen what, 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 what uh, the Word of God is. Do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were. But yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion. For if you return to the Lord, your, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who, lead, who led them captive. 
so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. This is what I want to say to all of us when you see our nation. And by the way, whenever I say these things, invariably there's somebody who thinks that I'm talking about politics. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the church's responsibility. And they want to make it about politics. Now, listen, if I can see the error in the political arena, which if you can't see it, that means you're spiritually blind. If I, cannot, if I see the spiritual error in the political arena, and if I happen to say something for the church to, to warn the church about it, it should not be that I've taken sides. I've told you before, if you, if you are living the kingdom, if you are preaching the kingdom, that's not a side. Are you still with me? And I'm talking about those of you who are online. It doesn't matter which nation you're living in. If you, are, if you are doing those things that God forbids, you're complicit with the evil. Let's look at Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9. Let's start in verse 4. Ezra chapter 9 verse 4. It says, Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel. Now listen to that. Everybody who trembled. At the words of God. You know, if you can read the word of, of, of the scriptures today uh, as they apply to what we're doing today as, and, uh, uh, as to our life today, if you can read them without any effect, God help us. Are you with me? So, so we don't tremble at the word of God. When I, I remember a number of years ago, my dad told a story about someone, I think it was himself, had just come from a particular denominational church, and he was in there with the, with the holiness folks, you know. And uh, they were there talking about, you know, the Holy Spirit, they call the Holy Ghost, and, and the moving, movement of, moving of God and whatever, and, and you had to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he said, it was either him or somebody he knew stood up to say, uh, well, I've got the Holy Ghost just like all of you. And he says, and some, by the, before that, those words were uttered, some little old Phil, spirit-filled person said, the devil got scared and he trembled. Oh, Lord. And, and, and whoever that was, my memory fails me right now, sat down immediately. But see, the key is we don't tremble at the word of God. That's audacious, nervy. Gall, chutzpah, that you won't tremble at the word of God. I tremble at the word of God because sometimes I'm reading, I say, oh, God, I'm sorry. Do you ever read and say, oh, God, I'm sorry? Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me, because, assembled to me, assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty for our iniquities. We, our kings, and our priests have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation as it is to this day. This is what Ezra's saying. You know, you and I, we don't have this effect. We don't have this, this sense, this understanding. There's something wrong. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? Am I just preaching to myself? 
You know, so I'm saying to us, we, we have to notice that we are living in perilous times. We are living, living in t- difficult times. And you can't say it's the Democrats. You can't say it's the Republicans. It's sin. It's a spirit that's gone that's taking anybody who's willing. It will take anybody who's willing. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your, what's your, nation, what your nationality is. It will take anybody who is willing, everybody who's not vigilant. Listen to what he says. This is amazing to me. He says in verse 8, And now for a little while grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. Amen. The, the, I, I, this is where I'm living today in this particular day, this particular moment, this particular hour. This is where we are, believers. And now for a little while, grace has been shown. God has given us a, a bit of grace. I told you that. I, I am concerned that, that we may have missed our opportunity. I'm, I'm concerned that we may have missed a, a glorious opportunity to turn things around for a while. But he's given us a small bit of grace. And for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape. There are few of us, few of believers in the world now to escape and to give us a pig in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage, in our difficulty, in, in this perplexing time where we are. He's given us, he's given us some grace. He's enlightening our eyes. He's causing many of us to see. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give, to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And what God is saying here through, through Ezra, I believe he's saying to us today that God is giving us an opportunity to repair the, the, the damage, the damage, repair the damage that has been done to the house of God by our leaders. Let me read verse 12. Let me read verses 12 through 15. Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity. Never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. He's telling us, he's prescribing in us what to do and how to walk out this thing. When he says don't give your daughters, what he's saying is don't be complicit with evil. The end does not justify the means. Does not. I'm seeing Christian leaders who are preaching, though they don't say it like that, but they live it, that the end justifies the means. Never. Not for with us. We do not practice situational ethics. You know what that means, situational ethics? Oh, I can do this in this situation if I can get some good out of it. No. We have to be righteous all the time. Okay, let me hurry. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve. 
and have given us such deliverance as this. Should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the people committing these abominations and being, being part and partial with people who are doing evil, making alliances with the devil, as it were? He said, would you, would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us so that there would be no remnant or survivor? O oh Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. I want to read one more, and I'm going to be done. This is what Ezra is saying, and this is where we are today. I find it we have allowed the righteousness and the holiness that God has given to us and shown to us to be a flippant thing a flippant thing, something casual. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 11. It's imperative, I think, that I read this, and then I will try not to comment too much and be gone. Verse 1, Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. That's what, I, that's what Elijah said. He said, I'm the only righteous one here. But he said, but what does the divine response say to him? So Paul wants you to understand that God has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten the Jewish people. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten your children. But you and I have a responsibility to God. What does the divine response say? He says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, Paul says, even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There's still Jewish people, Paul says, being saved. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? What then? What? What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but Israel has not obtain what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it and the rest were blinded. The rest were blinded. But believers, I, t I share with you the truth of God today that, that, that those of us, I would say, who are here and I trust in our audience, we have, we have obtained, but it, the hold of the church that we see ha has not obtained it. I, I, I'm just talking to you. It's not religiosity, man. It's reality. He said the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. So, so they have, they're, they're in a stupor, you know, like those zombies. Living life. Come on, man. I see, I see believers doing that, quote unquote, believers doing it all the time. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting this short. This is, as David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block 
and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. Jesus is the stumbling stone. Jesus is the stumbling stone. I'll, I'll read this in the next service. I'll finish it in the next service. But Jesus is the stumbling stone. And, and even right now, some of the people that we are in, in relationship with, Jesus is a stumbling stone for them. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and for, for some of us, Jesus is a stumbling stone because we want Jesus, but not too much of him. All right. All right. We don't want a Jesus who will move on us. I was praying with a young woman yesterday. She had, was in deep distress, and I was praying on her, uh, praying for her, rather. As I was praying, she began to pray with a depth that I've rarely ever seen. At a depth. And I go, you see, we want Jesus, but we don't want him in those depths, at that level of deepness, to where she began to pray. And I, I, I was thinking, this is unusual. And she began to pray, and she began to pray in, in, in another, in a, uh, an unknown tongue. And it was unknown to me, but I can tell you I was moved by it. It, 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 was, it was a depth that I have rarely, if ever, heard. Are you with me? Let's, let's go all the way with Jesus, Brother James. Let's go all the way with Jesus. Let's go all the way with Jesus.